The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. We are coming to you from Voice America. Our discussion today is on spirituality and dementia. Spirituality is a difficult thing to define and can mean a lot of different things, but for our, for purposes of our discussion here, I'd like to present it uh, in both a general way and in a more specific way. Um, as a general concept, it may be seen as the search for meaning and purpose in life, but spirituality more specifically may uh, reflect the manner, the way in which a person engages and experiences the spiritual in his or her life. You know, in today's healthcare system, we talk more and more about holistic care, mind, body, and spirit, our understanding of the functioning of the body and the abnormal functioning in various disease states has grown tremendously, as has our understanding of uh, mind, especially with the dementias. Our understanding of the spiritual continues to be very limited, and our ability to apply that understanding continues to be very limited, and there are some unique obstacles there. To develop this discussion with us today is Eddie Tubbs. Eddie is the Director of Pastoral Care at Calderwood Senior Living with Buckner International. Calderwoods is in Beaumont, Texas. Eddie has degrees in psychology, religious education, and pastoral care. He has worked as a hospital chaplain and as a senior pastor before coming to Calderwoods. So come on in. Grab a cup of coffee with us, pull up a chair as we have this discussion with Eddie Tubbs. My friend, Eddie, welcome to the program. Sam, uh, thank you for inviting me to be with you this evening. I really do. And uh, now we are going to belay the discussion in regard to motorcycles and uh, and our uh, predisposition for uh, different brands of motorcycles. Well, right? I think that uh, I think what we may do is have the listenership um, uh, send in votes. Those in favor of um, the Valkyrie, um, you know, dial whatever number you'd like. Those in favor of the Harley <laughs> Davidson, dial our call in number. <laughs> well, of course, you know, with the Honda Valkyrie, what you have to remember is there, the reason you always want a Honda Valkyrie going with the uh, a group of Harleys is we're the ones that can stop and pick up the Harley parts as they fall off. And uh, so <laughs> you practiced for thought, this, didn't yeah, you? I just thought I'd irritate you just <laughs> a tad, brother. I really did and everything. Well, so my former talk. friend, I'm glad to have you on the show. <laughs> and I, I would, <laughs> I would also like to, 
<laughs> I would also like to introduce Eddie as the author of Humor is Healthy, which is a delightful, hilarious email that he takes the time to send out. I'm not sure whether he's on the clock when he does that to the delight <laughs> of people that are on his email list. And I'll tell you, Eddie, if humor is healthy, you are very healthy. Well, I appreciate that. It, it does get a little bizarre, but what you have not told your listeners is that you send me information. You've sent me information in the past, jokes and stuff, and uh, <laughs> the uh, cartoons that we run. So uh, you're told you're not totally blameless on the uh, bizarre <laughs> humor that we publish. But uh, uh, all right, yeah, I'll share and, some of the guild on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie, what do you want tell to talk us about this evening, brother. <laughs> Tell us about Calderwood Senior Living. Calderwood Senior Living is part of uh, Buckner International. Buckner International was started in 1879 and uh, by a Baptist preacher in Dallas, Texas. And it first started out as a ministry to orphans. And uh, R.C. Buckner felt that uh, there was an oppressive reality of literally thousands of children here in the United States uh, without parents and homes. And so they started this up in uh, Dallas. And over the years, he began to realize that there was a need for uh, adult parental interaction. And so uh, he started building cottages on the large campus in Dallas. And uh, whenever a Baptist preacher got too old to preach, which is hard to believe, uh, (laughs) they would uh, move them into one of these cottages where they would have that uh, surrogate involvement with uh, uh, the orphans. And then eventually, in the early 50s, out of that came Buckner Retirement Service. And we have uh, multiple campuses throughout the great state of Texas. And uh, our our concern is well-being of the senior from the day they arrive until the day they leave. And uh, we call it continuum care, Sam. And continuum care means that when you hit the campus, uh, independent living, and then as your health care needs change, you can go to assisted living. Then we have our skilled nursing, our rehabilitation. And then, of course, the area that you and I first met, my goodness, Sam, what, five, six years ago, over, and that is our dementia unit or the Alzheimer's facilities on each of the campuses. Well, you know, I've had the opportunity, Eddie, as you know, to visit each of the Buckner campuses, and I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, these are beautiful, beautiful facilities with a very high standard of care, a um, a deep sense of commitment to the well-being of individuals, no matter what their um, level of functioning is, no matter what their state of health is, and I uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to meet the uh, the staff at each of their campuses. Well, if you remember, when you came to Beaumont, we uh, we had an incredible response from uh, the uh, community in southeast Texas. And, we really uh, did. That was very rewarding. It really was. And what you presented was um, we used that as another step in helping us, uh, you know, get the message of what Alzheimer's is, the, the concerns of dementia, how to deal with it, and then also... Uh, possible preventative measures that we can go to. And uh, and what what I appreciate about you Sam is that you have this uh, you have this deep-seated sense of uh, the spiritual quality of uh, of each of us and how that interacts uh, with the play of uh, this dreaded disease Alzheimer's. And I think it, uh, what you presented us a few years ago and what you do on this uh, radio show 
uh, adds to the qualities that we need to head off um, what you and I both know is is a growing significant issue for uh, our generation, the baby boom. We're going to have to deal with it in a big way. That is right, Eddie. Thank you very much for your kind words, and I can only say that I've been blessed, and I uh, love the opportunity to pass it on, and um, hopefully I can continue to do that for a good while. Well, this whole area of spirituality and dementia, it, it has so many dimensions to it, and we're going to take a few of those as we go through our discussions today and and uh, see what we can make of them. And, of course, one of the first things that comes to my mind, it, it's been, well, demonstrated and well-published that spirituality and religious practice are important to the older uh, segments of our population. And um, there's really no dispute about that, but it also is a neglected area. Let's begin with caregivers. A caregiver, a spouse, an adult child, um, someone like this has the situation in which this person that they love and they have known for a long, long time is diagnosed with a disorder that um, is going to be associated with various types of cognitive impairment. How does that diagnosis impact on the spiritual life, or what are the ways in which that would impact on the spiritual life of that caregiver, Eddie? Well, I think that uh, the stages of grief, you know, and re- with uh, who was that? Kubler uh, Roth, and uh, mm-hmm. when uh, when a person comes into that, they begin to work through those multiple five stages, um, because in essence, you're you're having the the death of a relationship in one sense, and so I think we have to be very open to uh, to allowing people and encouraging people to uh, to be expressive. Uh, what what I deal with, uh, and I think you know, we uh, we I lead support groups at Calder Woods for caregivers, mm-hmm. and I think the number one issue is guilt. Uh, guilt in the sense that they they have to deal with anger, they have to deal with depression, frustration, all sorts of things. Then eventually, that guilt of being uh, of anger, not only at themselves but at their loved one, and I think that's where spirituality, and especially their faith, can play a a very powerful part, because in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we we know that we can express our feelings across the full scope, and that our God will allow that. In fact, our God encourages that, because when we express all those dynamics of emotion, then that's when healing has the opportunity to begin to, to evolve. And uh, that guilt is a major issue. The guilt and the anger, Sam, I, I, I just see that so often with uh, so many of our caregivers. And, well, those uh, are the those are the two big things. You know, there are certain beliefs we might call them false beliefs, maybe false narratives or something like that that just tend to continue through generations. And you know, the traditional view that. Um, illness was actually a reflection of spiritual imperfection or spiritual failing or something like that, that it somehow was a punishment given to a person because they had misbehaved. And that's one that really stays with us, doesn't it? It really does. I I won't mention this guy's name, but uh, he lives in Virginia, and he's a a famous or infamous uh, TV uh, 
evangelist, if you would. And uh-huh. a year or two ago, he came out and said that Alzheimer's basically was God's punishment to those who were suffering into the family. Of course, he got roasted alive over that, as he mm-hmm. should. But mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. And if we're not careful, as uh, those of us in the clergy especially, if we espouse that from the pulpit or interaction with our congregation, that's diametrically opposed to the Scripture. And um, and we need to be very, very careful about that because our faith should be a curative agent, freeing us to express our feelings so that, so that we can uh, begin to experience that healing that can come in, in the grace of our God. Oh, that's very nicely stated, that our our faith should be an agent of healing. I, I like the way that you've stated that. Well, um, I, you know, it's all those years of seminary, Sam. It paid off after a while. <laughs> Have you paid off all the loans, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife did, yeah. She's a hard worker, too. You know, they're scrubbing the floors and stuff. Hey, let me ask you a question on a on dealing with the spiritual reality, how serious do you think it is that that people uh, view what you stated a minute ago in regard that this is God's judgment and punishment? Do you, you know, feel like that is overwhelming in some instances? I, I really believe that it is in a number of instances. Um, and um, it's the kind of thing that when people say it, they want to fairly immediately distance themselves from it because they don't quite believe it. But yet it's sort of embedded in the cell structure. You know, it's a it's embedded belief that when brought out into the light of day um, is seen for was what it is, a false belief. But we do feel that way. We do uh, um uh, feel that people that have an illness um, are somehow being punished by God. So, and that's why Kubler Ross goes through, for example, uh, a stage of bargaining. Well, bargaining with who? You know, if you have a a dreaded disease and you're bargaining, you're not bargaining with the doctor or the nurse. You know, you're bargaining with God at that time. So. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's more widespread than than we generally see. Well, Eddie, we are going to go to a break, and when we come back, uh, we will follow up on this discussion. Thank you for being with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. 
Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters. The Brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. We are back, and thank you for staying with us. I'm delighted to be meeting up with you in the world of digital technology and cyberspace, and I hope that uh, this program is helpful to you. Our topic of discussion is spirituality and dementia, and our guest is Eddie Tubbs, who is the Director of Pastoral Care at Calderwood Senior Living, a Buckner program. Eddie, thank you for staying with us. Um, It might be helpful as we continue in this discussion to talk a little bit about how spirituality shapes a worldview, what a worldview is, and and how that's shaped by our spirituality. Well, that's very important. I think uh, if you look at some religions, uh, their willingness to, uh, to deal with the reality that we are finite creatures is very limited. And uh, a lot of religions don't want to deal with that or they gloss over it. And then other religions uh, do very little insofar as compassion and care is concerned for those who are dealing with uh, illnesses such as Alzheimer's and and other debilitating realities. And I think if you look at Ecclesiastes, you know, good old King Solomon wrote that around the third chapter, it, it talks about there's a time to be born and a time to die. And a faith system of which I believe the Judeo-Christian tradition adheres to offers us the reality that covers that full spectrum and that full scope of being born, moving through life, and then accepting that the natural part of life is death and what lies beyond it. And when we have that, that view of who we are and our loved ones, it enables us to help put diseases such as Alzheimer's in the proper perspective, or at least we begin to make that effort to do that right there. And so I believe I can see the difference when I'm counseling and working with the caregivers and family members that the greater their faith is in a positive sense, uh, it gives them a, a greater sense of strength to deal 
with the loss of their loved one. And, of course, as you and I know, and those who deal with Alzheimer's know, that loss starts long before the, the end of the service when the preacher says amen at, at the end of the funeral. And so without that worldview, without that perspective of there is hope beyond Alzheimer's, uh, then we've got we've got some serious uh, well, it, that caregiver really has trouble dealing and accepting what's happening in regard to Alzheimer's. And of course, the um, value or importance of life after death versus life before death is a key part of that worldview as well. You told me, by the way, that you were going to get the dogs on, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate you asking them to speak up. I heard them. I appreciate you having them speak up on this topic. Now, just as a little side, just as a little side issue. Oh. <laughs> As a little side issue, as we go through this program, you know, um, one of the things that I would like to do is throw out to this talented, talented listening audience a uh, a little trivia quiz. All right. You read from Ecclesiastes, and I would like someone to call and tell me what music group sang from sang lyrics from Ecclesiastes in the 1960s. You can email it. Uh, or you can uh, call the information in, but um, uh, the reward will be the same as it always is. Eddie and I will applaud you for your first correct answer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you are a sneaky person. You really are. I I really think you and I may be uh, the few that remember that song. And uh, (laughs) that's right. This is a young audience. Well, it marks you and I age-wise. It really does. And, uh, well, you know, Sam, tell them a little bit about what you do, because I know that you folks in Abilene do a lot in regard to uh, dealing with this disease. Well, you know, as a neuropsychologist, I my uh, my practice is very much referral based, and so I have referrals from neurology, neurosurgery, uh, family practice, um, internal medicine, as far as dementia is concerned, and the referral might be to evaluate whether there is sign of cognitive decline of some sort, and if so, uh, how would I characterize it, and then what are some likely causes? And I want to throw in here what I've mentioned from time to time on the program. Uh, An individual over the age of 65 with recent onset of memory impairment has a 20% chance of having a reversible disorder. So part of my responsibility is to work in in, – um, in teamwork with that uh, uh, physician to identify and manage whatever reversible conditions might be seen. If none is seen, then of course I will just do overall what we might call neurobehavioral management, you know, maintain quality of life, maintain skills as long as possible, and things like that. So, as far as the dementias are concerned, that's the main thing that I do. And then, of course, Eddie, as you know, uh, you know, I developed the Gray Matters Dementia Screening System, oh, yeah. which is a system that can be used in a physician's office or in a lot of other settings simply to monitor memory and executive functions so that there is early identification of problems and early treatment of those problems. And it's a great system. Uh, We've used it and uh, uh, it is so simple to operate and then the evaluations that you provide and the assessment is such an aid to to the local physician. I I don't think people realize that a lot of the 
the family practice guys do not have some of the training or the background, let me put it that way, experience that uh, that you guys provide as a resource. And uh, I can't tell you how many residents in the past that has benefited uh, at our facility and at others in our system. Well, you know, I'm, I may be about to alienate my Miami listenership, but uh, we are members of a team just like the San Antonio Spurs are. And, um, you know, <laughs> each person has a different role and we trust that each other will fill our roles and we trust that we will encourage and, and support and, uh, and guide each other uh, through the uh, experiences that we have. So um, uh, I'm sorry, Miami, but you got the accolades last year. Um. <laughs> yeah, the Mavericks can win. Let's go with the Spurs. That's the key, right there. <laughs> hey, right. let me ask you a question. Uh, what it, you know, when we do uh, activities with our residents in our, in our Alzheimer's units in the Buckner system, uh, do you know what is the favorite song that almost all of them know? And it it, it really doesn't matter what's stage of Alzheimer's they're in. Do you know what the song is? It's not Turn, 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 is it? No, but... No, not that one. You know, I would say probably uh, probably Amazing Grace. Yeah, I would too. It's Jesus Loves Me. Oh, that, wow. That they know that. Jesus Loves Me and then Amazing Grace are the two songs. And, uh, and it, it's memories of that generation when they were children especially uh, Jesus Loves Me. And then the well, second one is Amazing Grace. Well, that's, that's good to know. I, I uh, should have thought of that. I'm surprised that I didn't think of that. But, you know, since we're talking about songs, you know, there are many different types of spiritual practices that we have, prayer, meditation, and music is a big part of that. And um, uh, spiritual music, religious music, uh, is a big part of people's lives, especially in this older generation. And it is interesting um, that... Uh, we don't take advantage of that that vast experience and that vast memory bank of um, experiences with um, with Christian songs, or that um, that will allow these individuals to continue to express their spirituality. That's true, and and you know it it when they sing those songs, it hits those. Uh, those moments of, uh, of their memory. And uh, we have seen when we do uh, hymns and different other activities, we'll see that suddenly that cognitive thought pattern returns, maybe ever so briefly, but uh, you can sometimes see that sparkle as that synapsis somewhere in that brain fires off. And, uh, and it may not have fired off in, in years. And now all of a sudden, you see that smile, that, that glimmer in the eye comes back, um, that tear, and uh, music is such a vital part. And I think the hymns of this past generation are pivotal. We, uh, we will play uh, some of the hymns from uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither. Uh, uh -huh. You know, they were very popular back in the 60s and the 70s and still are now, but they do a lot of the old hymns. And you can see the look in their eyes and watch those feet tap on some of those hymns. And uh, I think we need to assimilate as much as possible. 
what better way to do it than memories of their faith, which gives them that sense of comfort and aid when uh, when they're in that maze called Alzheimer's. It is, it is so uh, comforting. Yes, and, and neurobiologically, of course, that makes perfect sense because, you know, it is a, um, a, a highly practiced or frequently practiced experience that has been there even before the development of the pathology of Alzheimer's disease, and it's an emotionally rich experience as well, so it's going to be so much more thoroughly encoded into memory systems and, and so much more easily accessed in memory systems as a result. Well, what is it? I remember you, you talked about this uh, first learned, last forgotten, last learned, first forgotten. Rebo's Law, that's uh, French scientist Rebo, R I B O T. Uh, okay. Last in is first out. Well, and, and to me, that, that is one of the key ther- therapeutic tools. And I think that that's what we consider one of our strengths uh, with the Buckner facility and uh, Anna Calder Woods, especially. And that is that taking people back to those moments of faith. And, uh, and sometimes you take them back through uh, the practice of a religious ritual. Uh, uh, Roman Catholic Mass uh, is such a powerful statement to those people of that faith and that denomination. Uh, I think that's one of the things that those of us who are Protestants, sometimes, especially evangelicals, we don't have some of those... Uh, from the cradle beyond type of religious rituals that can help us when we're in that mode and when the fogginess of Alzheimer's begins to descend upon us, uh, the clarity will return when we use uh, religious rituals of that nature. And I think music is probably the most dominant one right there. Well, I think you are absolutely right, Eddie. We are going to go to break. And uh, when we return, we will continue this discussion, and I'd like to talk some about uh, the obstacles to meeting the spiritual needs of individuals with dementia as well as their caregivers. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. 
Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Eddie Tubbs, who is the Director of Pastoral Care at Calderwood Senior Living, a part of the Buckner Retirement System, and we are discussing spirituality and dementia, and we've discussed different aspects of that thus far. Um, And Eddie, what I would like to go into now um, is what some would call barriers to addressing spiritual needs and dementia. Barriers are obstacles. So there are several of them that that have been listed in published documents. I'd like to mention one and just have you comment on it. Uh, the first one is a desire to not offend. Ah, yeah, that's that's a biggie nowadays. It, uh, and especially with the, the fear of intrusion uh, in areas that uh, that. Uh, government and the ethics of medicine would challenge. Uh, I would say that, that one of the ways to deal with that, first of all, if you are a uh, staff person, uh, one of the first ways to deal with that is to make sure you have familiarized yourself with the patient. Uh, as you know, you know, with all patients, we do assessments. And uh, what part of that assessment is the religious uh, background. And so if you're staff, that's very important. If you're visiting, um, I, I think the best way to express your faith is just simply to be there. And uh, then there's nothing more powerful than a hand held when there's a hand in need. And, uh, and then just to relax and not feel as though you've got to convert that person. Uh, get to know the individual, establish rapport with that person, and then the natural progression will probably lead you to uh, to looking at the spiritual or the deeper qualities of life, which are spiritual in essence. But I think uh, one of the concerns that both you and I have is somebody coming in there and they're going to proselytize and they're mm-hmm. going to turn or burn this individual. And Christ was was tremendous at getting to build rapport and getting to know people. Uh, the woman at the well. Uh, even though that's just a few verses, it probably took the better part of uh, of a day, and he got to know this woman, and then she began to trust him. Then he was able to share uh, share who he was and to share the dynamic uh, that uh, Christ is. So I think rapport is important. Just being there, 
And uh, I, I think that, that will cover a lot of ground right there. All right. Now, the next one is uncertainty of what to ask. I guess that means how do you approach a discussion of spirituality with a person? Well, I think that you can uh, you can apply the rapport uh, through all of these questions that you and I have discussed, but I think the biggest thing is, is just be patient with the individual and not feel like that you have to approach the spiritual. Uh, approach him as a person, holistic. That means everything. If they're, you know, if you know they're from San Antonio and they're a Spurs fan, then elicit interaction that way. And then just follow the line of conversation. And, um, and I know that may sound superficial and simplistic, but I really think just taking your time to get to know somebody, uh, addressing spiritual spiritual issues is not instantaneous on and off. It takes time because you are touching the deepest part of their soul, and that's their faith. And, uh, and so that's not something that most people are going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, let's talk Jesus. I think you have to get to know them. They really have to get to know them. Very good point. Uh, third one, lack of training. In other words, you know, if you look at the training that's done in uh, in the healthcare system, for example, infectious disease control and and uh, policy and procedure under different conditions and things like that, but people don't generally feel trained in discussing or uh, reaching someone spiritually. Well. It- I'm afraid that we in the clergy have kind of pushed this thing that, well, you need to go to seminary, need to go to graduate school, and that's not true. I think every person has a, a certain common element, and one of those is our spirituality. One is the simple fact that we are relationally searching for significance, and I think that's what uh, Frankel said, uh, Victor Frankel, you know, the... Mm-hmm. What was he? Psychiatrist uh, during the Nazis, and yeah. he he stressed meaning. We're all searching for meaning, and if we approach that that person is in the same search and quest as I am, then don't worry about the training. Uh, be more concerned about meeting that person where they're at and encouraging that person as one of significance. And then that will naturally lead to the discussion of uh, of those deeper qualities to life. The the next one, Eddie, discomfort or incongruence with your patient's faith. In other words, a uh, Catholic ministers to a Methodist, for example, or um, a Christian ministers to a Hindu or a Buddhist. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. I, I really <laughs> okay. Let's that let's one. skip that question. I'll pick an easier one here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you know, like uh, what are the dimensions of the universe? Yeah, that that would be a lot of. I'm still yeah. working on that one. Yeah. Well, you got a long time coming on that one. I think that the hardest thing, uh, especially for uh, certain brands of Christianity, is that. Uh, we have this thing where we walk into a situation and we want to convert someone who, uh, say, is not a Christian or not of our denomination. And first and foremost, we need to go back to the example 
of Christ. Christ met people where they're at. He didn't make them come to him. He went to them. And in the process of him initiating that sense of affirming interaction, they began to see that there was something different about this guy. And in the process, they began to ask the question. And so I think that we have to learn how to be patient and allow a person to have their own sense of spiritual integrity, whether we agree with that or not. We have to be patient. And uh, for us to go in and to force our philosophy or beliefs on someone violates the very tenets of our faith uh, in our Judeo-Christian tradition. So, and, es- it, and especially so when someone is in a vulnerable state, such as dealing yeah. with dementia. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's one of the biggest problems you have is, is that person can't get away from it. I mean, they're either in, in a facility or, you know, they're limited in their mobility, uh, their, you know, their cognitive skills are diminished. And so we need to respect that. Oh, Sam, that's, that's very good. You know, you mentioned limitations in mobility. I suppose that um, for all of us, when we're in a conversation we don't want to be in, it is certainly helpful to find a way and a reason to walk away, isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, well, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate your comments on those things. And basically what you're saying is that that you're not here on some kind of a mission to convert somebody to your way of thinking. You're not here as a way of overlooking everything about that person's life except what their spiritual beliefs are, but you're there offering a whole relationship to the person. That's it. You nailed it. It is a relationship. and. And these people that come in there and just flash, flash burn them, uh, they do more damage to that individual because that individual needs to know that, that the compassion of their faith is, uh, is theirs and that their God wants to reach out and love and care for them. And, and when you come in there and you have an agenda other than compassionate care, then you have no business being in that environment. Let's go ahead and switch topics just a little bit now. Um, you know, I, I talked in a uh, one of our early episodes about what is the face of Alzheimer's disease. When I say the words Alzheimer's disease, what picture, what's the picture that comes up or what's the thought that comes up in your mind? And we tend to picture someone in the later stages of Alzheimer's disease. But in reality, there's a period of time when deficits are very mild, uh, then a, followed by a period of time where they're more visible to others but still mild and then there's a middle stage in which you start seeing loss of some language and communication skills and things like that and all of this is before that that late stage and so when I have looked at um, uh, things that are written about spirituality and Alzheimer's disease I think people tend to think of that late stage and overlook the fact that there's a lot that can be uh, experienced in the early stage. As an example, um, research has demonstrated there's no obvious reduction of spiritual awareness in early Alzheimer's disease. Research indicates that the practice of religion is positively associated with better quality of life. Um, More um, advanced um, 
uh, more adva uh, advanced research has indicated that the practice of religion, uh, these things like prayer, music, fellowship, reading, and things like that, also is associated with a better quality of life. So the the evidence is there, but it's hard to know how to um, how to experience spirituality with someone that has cognitive decline, isn't it? Well, and, uh, you know, I think there was a study done a few years ago, and it found that in the early stages of dementia, there, there are really no obvious reduction of, uh, of the awareness, spiritually speaking, among uh, the patients that are beginning to deal with Alzheimer's uh, each and every day in a greater and greater degree. And, uh, you know, what was it? It was about, well, about 10 years or so ago, there was another study that came out and affirmed that the religiosity has a very positive association with the perceived quality of people uh, with early-stage dementia. And so those people with early-stage dementia, along with their caregivers and staff, uh, they, uh, they use this as a means to cope with, uh, with the disease itself. And it's, it's an imperative that we continue... If we segregate people that are dealing with Alzheimer's and we put them over in a corner, literally, then then we're punishing them, and we're we're cutting short the power of their faith. And I think that that you maintain those religious activities as long as possible because we really don't know what they're perceiving, even in in the latter stages of Alzheimer's. Uh, Sam, when I, when I did my training years ago as a hospital chaplain, one of the things they taught us was never let anybody talk uh, as, in front of a patient who is comatose or appears to be unconscious in, in the third person. You always yeah, treat them as though they're there because one of the last senses to leave a person is auditory. And so I think we always need to be very careful that, to treat people uh, whether they're responsive or not, and so they're still in, involved in the conversation of life. And, Thank you, uh, Eddie. Uh, I need to take us on to a break now, and we will yeah. return for our fourth segment in just a few minutes. Eddie Tubbs from um, Calderwood Senior Living. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. 
Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. We are back. Thank you for staying with us. And we are talking with Eddie Tubbs about spirituality and dementia. And I'd like to move to uh, uh, another topic uh, in comparison to our previous segment. And that's basically this. There are groups of people that have already at some level demonstrated that, that they value spirituality and that they have specific spiritual beliefs and they come together in churches and synagogues around the country. Um, that my question to you, as you have been a senior pastor and are now a director of pastoral care at Calder Woods, my question to you, Eddie, is what do we need to do uh, as pastors as Sunday school teachers, Bible class teachers, um, and um, others that have um, specific roles in these organizations. What do we do to um, help the spiritual well-being of persons with dementia? Well, I think the the first thing that that we need to do is uh, pastors need to get educated about it. This is not Satan's curse. And uh, this this is a disease. This is a natural process, if you would, of life. And so I think pastors, first of all, need to ed- become educated in what Alzheimer's is and what it isn't. Because without that background, how are you going to help guide and give uh, comfort and insight to, uh, to your uh, congregation and your parishioners? The second thing is they need to have a solidly developed uh, theology of, uh, of compassion. And uh, that right there is very important. A pastor who is more inclined to uh, fire and brimstone his way through the world is going to be hard-pressed to offer compassion to family members and, and to the ones who have just discovered that they have the beginnings, the possible beginnings, of dementia issues and Alzheimer's. And so I think those two right there are pivotal for, for the clergy because whether we want to accept this or not, the, uh, the leadership of the church, either ordained or not, set the agenda in dealing with everything. 
and especially in dealing with uh, diseases such as Alzheimer's. And uh, so I think those are the two things right there. I, and I can't emphasize enough uh, going to, uh, well, resources like you and others and, uh, and getting that background to, uh, to know this is what Alzheimer's is. Uh, you know, don't go in there and preach false hope about Alzheimer's. It is right now, as we know, it's a nasty disease. And then if you don't have the compassion of Christ or compassion of faith, how can you minister to those people who are asking questions that are very, very difficult to answer? So I would say education and uh, a theology of compassion are the two paramount issues that uh, ministers need to have. So then we can move those through the congregation in our parish right there. So let's say pastors... Elders, presbyters, deacons—you know there are different uh, different titles and different patterns of organization. But in church leadership, generally, to um, uh, to learn more about Alzheimer's disease, what do they need to learn about it? If you would pick three topics about Alzheimer's and say you need to know these three things. Oh, the three. Oh, gee, Sam. Three <laughs> things. Well, first of all, I think they need to know uh, the cost of reality of Alzheimer's. And, you know, and of course, you're the guy that has taught me in the past that so much of that is still open to examination and discussion. But uh, they need to know the cost of reality of what Alzheimer's is. Then I think uh, the second thing is they need to know treatment options. And I know I'm not being super spiritual uh, with the first two, but to go out there and to tell someone, well, if you pray hard enough, God will heal that person. You know, it just, that may happen every once in a while, but more times than not, it doesn't. And so then we leave our people holding false hopes. And, uh, and then we watch our loved ones fade away and we pray that much harder. And then after they're gone, we question ourselves that we just didn't have enough faith to cure, to cure the loved one. And then I think the third one goes back to that uh, theology of compassion. And uh, I just, I don't know that I can fully answer all three of those, Sam, to be quite truthful. Well, I think the answers that you gave, though, are very good, and they do give us some guidelines. And and I would think as well about what to expect in terms of uh, follow-up when somebody has a memory disorder, uh, communication language disorders, and things like that. So certainly there there are a lot of things that could be done there. Interestingly, I was uh, approached by a member of a church today. Uh, this church congregation has been wanting to put together something specifically to minister to the the people in that uh, congregation or or outside the congregation as well who have Alzheimer's disease or some other form of dementia and and one of my first questions to them was what are all the things that uh, that would need to be taught there what are the things that need to be covered there because I I think that traditionally churches have been uh, pioneers in um, in the ministry to and placing high value on the more downtrodden, those that are having more difficulties in life, and uh, and I think that it's a there's a big vacuum for churches to fill there. Amen. Well, Eddie, we uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I think you're right. In a, 
when when you're giving a, when you're listening to someone whose loved one is suffering from dementia, let them express their feeling. Don't try to well, you know, God will take care of you. Uh, don't cry. And you and I both know that those emotions need to be expressed because without that, they're they're not going to be able. God's not going to be able to deal with that and uh, help them uh, work through the pain. We have to acknowledge the pain uh, before uh, the healing can start. And I well, Eddie, have thank one, you. Uh, I, I need to cut in here real quick. What group did indeed take that passage out of Ecclesiastes chapter three? Oh, what is it, Eddie? Well, we it's have, the birds. It's the birds. That's right. Yeah. Which you know, you we talked. Not supposed to know anything about. You know that that group. You know, so. everybody involved in this program is younger than we are. Well, thank <laughs> you for listening to this program today, Eddie. Thank you for being here. Next week, our discussion is on frontotemporal dementia, and our guest will be Susan Dickinson, who's the executive director of the Association for Frontotemporal Dementia. Eddie, I can't thank you enough for you uh, sharing your experiences and your knowledge and wisdom, and I look forward to follow up discussions with you. Please join us next week. Thank you very much for being with us tonight. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.